Well, hey everyone, this is Athena and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8.28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Well, welcome to today's episode of the All Things Podcast. I am here with an incredible, pretty brand new Redemption Press author, Mary Bruce. She is the author of Widowhood, A Changed Perspective on Loss. And then during the second half of the show, you're going to hear from some more amazing Romans 828 stories from a number of She Writes for Him boot camp graduates. So first of all, welcome to the All Things Podcast, Mary. Thank you. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So let me give, for those of you who don't know who you are, um, I want to give a proper introduction So Mary is currently in the process of moving cross country. So there is much packing and sorting in progress. She is finishing her role as an associate pastor of a local church in Connecticut, where she has facilitated the Francis Frangipane Bible College in Christ's image for the past six years. She has served as the overseeing pastor of prayer teacher for the equip series and senior pastors administrative associate as well as the nurse for the church daycare man you are a busy woman (laughs) oh gosh okay so she has a lot of energy as i mean that that goes without saying i think and as a single woman has been able to give that time to ministry Since she is in the process of this cross-country move out of New England to live with her daughter, she can no longer serve with the National Day of Prayer team as the Northeast National Area Leader for the nine Northeast states. She hopes to take a sabbatical before re-engaging in ministry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. (laughs) However, whatever God is directing, she plans to obey. That's a good thing. Prayer for our nation will always be in her heart. So Mary, it's just so good to have you on. This is the first time we've actually met face to face after many times on the phone. So it's great to connect this way with you. And, you know, before I start asking you like more specific questions about your book on widowhood, I would like to just have our listeners hear your Romans 828 story. And I, and I know much of it kind of dovetails mm-hmm. with the, the premise of the book, but I would just love for your story to be shared so that those that are listening can see God's hand of working all things together for good in your life. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when, when my husband first got sick, both he and I had accepted new positions with the ministries that we worked with. He was with the Gideon International's ministry and he had accepted a new broader role. And I had accepted this new national area leader role at that time. So when this happened, we really saw that it was a test. Uh, It was a challenge. His sickness was very quick, six weeks and brief wow. and very intense. <clears throat> but he was a military man. And honestly, I look back on that and I see so much of his military training that he took through his sickness. Mm. And um, even uh, at the time that it, actually the very morning that he died, someone called who didn't know he had been sick 
And when I began to explain how he had just that morning passed away and I was talking to her about that, she said, Mary, um, what you're saying sounds so much like the role you have had as a labor doula bringing life into the world. And now it's at the end of this picture um, and it sounds so much alike. So to me, that was like um, almost like a, an affirmation that his passing into heaven was part of my life, part, meant to be part of my life. And um, that, that we could, I could look forward to it, uh, to heaven, look forward to whatever God had for me here in between the time that he and I are together again. Mm -hmm. So um, as I went through that early, that early widowhood, those years and those things that the changes that every widow has to go through, every widow goes through this. But as I went through them, I went through them with uh, some of his faith that even what I was doing was because he had mo motivated me or moved me into that kind of a military mindset. Uh -huh. um, and we are only here temporarily, but we are on assignment from the Lord temporarily. And this is not our final resting place. And the truth of the matter is, even when he passed, I didn't understand how much of a battlefield this is, which I now know so much more about and which I believe the church at large is beginning to really see a different perspective on our Christianity yeah. that we are meant to be um, we are meant to be fulfilling what God has told us to do which is to go and disciple to um, be his representers in the land mm. so so you're so now, how long ago did your husband pass away? He passed away 19 years ago. It was the weekend before 9-11. Wow. And that Monday, we had his memorial service, and then Tuesday was 9-11. So even on that day when that happened, it was um, someone called me, and she was crying on the other end of the phone. And then she, But she said, turn the television on. And I said, is this a joke? She said, no, turn the TV on. And I turned the TV on. We were packing up some of my husband's belongings. And I turned the TV on at, in time to see that second tower fall, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, so even then, from that point, I began to think about all the other young widows mm -hmm. that were created that day. Now, I was three days older than them in my widowhood. Oh. And uh, I've always been an older sister, okay? So I've always had, I had a dad who said, you know, buck up, take care of your sisters, be that kind of a person. And I think I saw that right from the very beginning, that um, the older can help the younger. Right. And even if it's only three days older in our widowhood, right. as sisters, I could still find a way to help. Yeah, I was going ahead. Amen. So that devastation and loss burst some new things in your life and some new perspectives, which yes. is God bringing good out of something that was painful, That's which is right. so Romans That's 8, 28. I love that. That's right. And uh, I saw that I was strengthened by those things that I had to do that I felt I had to do in order to be obedient to God, I was, I can see looking back that I was strengthened in my faith at that time. And I was, um, I became a better person for it, honestly, and strengthened. Mm -hmm. I love that. So, okay. So why, so, I mean, how did you have the idea to write the book and why did you write it? Well, um, mostly, I am a journaler. I am someone who journals. And so all of my pain, a lot of my pain was written down in that book, in my journal. 
But why did I write this book? Be mostly because I saw two things. I saw leadership skills in the many widows I have met. Mm. And as an associate pastor, I saw the difficulty of ministry leaders, of pastors who, who were saying, um, we need more leaders. We need more leaders. Mm. So I'm saying that they need more leaders. And here we are widows who have leadership skills, but are not always um, viewed upon with their leadership skills. Right. Um, so I, I saw, too, that people had trouble trying to help widows. And that's part of why I wrote the book. I think it will help others know how to help widows. It doesn't matter. I realized by the title that it's almost frightful for some women to pick up that book because they're not widows yet and they don't want to pre they don't want to predetermine. So uh, and I don't mean it to be because I really wrote it for the church to know how to look at widows from a different perspective. Yeah, to see them as an asset. That's right. That's wow. right. <laughs> wow. So so I was going to ask you who the book's for. You've kind of said that. So it's for church mm -hmm. leadership. But mm -hmm. do you think also, even though, I mean, it's specifically for church leadership and for widows to, to kind of grasp mm -hmm. that call um, and that, you know, what God might want to do in their lives now in this mm -hmm. new season with mm -hmm. their leadership skills, um, what about those of us who aren't there yet? And maybe it would be helpful for us to even, even though we don't want to think about it, it's going to happen. So to for us to prepare. It could be that. And also, um, truthfully, I think what's in there could benefit single women, period. Someone and someone actually who read the book said, do you think I could give this to my father-in-law? He's a widower. Mm. So it is written for, it is written to, and because I'm a woman, for the most part, it's been written to women, but it's also written because I believe that the alone years of widowhood, whether it's widowerhood or widowhood, those, that is a place that's a calling from God. It's not something that we chose it's right. not something we planned because if we planned it, we'd be in jail. But right. it's something. Oh. <laughs> so it's not something we've chosen or volunteered for. It's a calling from God. Yeah. Well, that's so. that's a game changer to have that perspective, because yeah. I'll bet a lot of widows struggle initially and maybe past initially with, you know, feeling. Uh, it's not fair. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be a widow, but God either, you know, if he didn't, you know, cause it to happen, he allowed it to happen. He so what, how, how are we going to let him refine us through that experience? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's definitely, um, I, I just think of Jeannie Robertson, who is a comedian, a Christian comedian. And she talks about how in the South, especially whenever someone mentions that someone has passed, even if it's 20 years ago, everybody puts their head down and looks to the floor as a sign of respect of that passing. But I feel like there are a lot of people who don't know how to eye contact a widow in her pain, or even if she isn't in her pain. Mm. So I feel like this is a way to help others know how to help widows. Well, and it sounds like it can be kind of the start of a conversation. So if you have people reading this who aren't widows, yes. but they know widows, then they can That's actually great. start to have a conversation instead of that awkward thing that we are not very good at when there's, you know, a loss or something that's really been tragic we don't know what to say, so we don't say anything. And then they feel like we don't care, but it's because we don't know what to say. <laughs> so That's I, right. I love that your book would help open doors of communication, even with those who aren't widows, but who know them. Because I think everybody probably knows at least one widow. 
That's right. Uh, or more. Or actually. more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, so. Tell me. So, kind of bouncing off of that, because I've asked this question before when I've interviewed people who have struggled with depression or anxiety or cancer or different things, and and I always want to hear like, what do you wish people would not say to you? What's not helpful when you're a new widow or have you have you thought about those things? Yes, that... I have thought about some statements like that. Um, some statements like, I understand, unless it's a widow. Right. That's not really holding water. That's not a truth. Um, actually, I think the most meaningful thing that ever happened, that was ever said to me without words, was that someone came in when I experienced a a different kind of loss and sat on the couch next to me and just put her hand on top of my hand and never said a word, but she sat there and wept with me. Mm. And so I think not being afraid of our tears is an important thing. Um, And because I believe that widows are often looked at as victims, I'm, I'm not saying that the tears of, I'm so sorry for you, are not important. Those tears, regardless of why you cry them, if you're crying them with a new widow, she won't know if you're crying them for your own sake, or if you're crying them because you have a toothache, or if you're crying them (laughs) because you really care for her. But those kinds of um, emotional um, sharing mm. is really valid, mm. very valid. To, and it's scriptural. To... Weep with those who weep, right? Right. That's right. That's right. So that's can, right. can you think of anything else that someone has said to you that really wasn't very helpful and almost hurt more than it helped? Um, yes. There was a gentleman who came to me on the day of his memorial service. And I know that he was trying to be polite. Right. But I got the impression that he was thinking he could take my husband's place. You know, like, I'll do, I can come and be with you. And, and it was such a turnoff. It was so inappropriately wrong at that time. So um, I think for men to speak to women who are widows, they have to be careful. And for widows, certainly for women who speak to widowers, mm. they have to be careful because the that can certainly trigger even more pain right and and fright actually fear you know yeah wow well that's good i mean i i always feel like we as the church need to do better at uh walking with those who are in pain and who are going through really hard times and we're we're usually kind of lame at it. We give, you know, quote scriptures that are like, it's, that's not helpful. You know, if you just have more <laughs> faith, it won't be so sad. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you very much. You know, we, we need to know how to grieve well, and we need to know how to support others who are grieving mm-hmm. and yes. know what stupid yeah. things are to not say. <laughs> so, okay. So why should someone read your book on widowhood? Well, um, I feel like widows should read it because as soon as they become widows, they are thrust into leadership role, whether they know it or not. They've become the leader of their home, the leader of their family, um, maybe the leader of their husband's business or his whatever, the leader of five cars instead of one, that type deal. So I do believe widows would benefit from it. Um, I believe they that widows should read it because um, many times people will say to widows, how are you doing? Oh, how are you today? And they, they're opening up conversation at an in, inopportune time for the widow. In other words, that might be something just, how are you today? Or bringing back that conversation. Um, when you're out in public or when you're at work mm. could really be traumatic. Right. So I feel like this book is for widows because they can pick it up and put it down. 
-hmm. if it's something that's not, if it opens up something for them to weep over or to, to experience emotions over, they can do it in their own home. And if they don't want to do it, they can put it down. Right. And I think that also that it's for church leaders because they need to consider their own mindsets. Do they mm -hmm. see widows as one more target population that we have to support? Um, or are they one more burden on the church? Are they something that causes guilt? Oh, this is what we're supposed to be doing with widows and we are not doing it. Right. Um, so for church and ministry leaders, I feel like it's an opportunity for them to examine themselves. Um, and also because there's a very high probability that everybody in that there's somebody in church who is either a widow or is struggling with grief or or cares for a widow. Right. And so I believe almost everyone can benefit from reading this book truthfully and really it's equipping it's equipping us to love them well and not it is. and for church leaders to not see them as, as a liability but as an asset that's so right a shift and to help find that mind that's right a shift in the mindset yeah wow i'm excited about this i mean everybody needs to read this book okay so what's next for you um maybe a little rest. <laughs> I mean, right now I'm looking at piles of boxes, but I'm also looking at one pile of boxes that's called my journals. Ooh. So I have journals from the time I was in my teen years. And um, many, much of that was when I was a, a young nurse, a supervisor had me sit down and write out my one year, five year, 10 year, 20-year, 50-year goals. And I remember thinking, 50 years, why? I'll, I'll be 70. I don't want to be lifting patients. <laughs> I don't want to be giving shots when I'm 70. I need to find something that I can do that's workable. Yeah. And immediately I thought of writing. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my journals have the stories of that I've learned and grown through all those years. And I'm eager to be able to really begin to go through my journals now and share those stories. Mm, so that's I see a what what, Yes. Mm. Uh, I, I would like to do, um, haven't got it set yet because all this really I'm moving two weeks from today. So, wow. uh, uh, but I would like to, I plan to have some kind of virtual meetups, whether it's a uh, zoom meeting once a week, for other women to be able to share their stories uh, mm -hmm. or if they just want to talk or if they they have something they haven't resolved and and if there's any way I can help them with it mm -hmm. I will do that and if I can't I have a lot of resources that I can help send them to right so that's what's kind of next for me I have mm -hmm. a widowhood a widowhoodbook.org website but it's pretty still brand new and doesn't have a lot on there. So I have to be practicing my, um, my technical ah, skills yes. and proving that you can teach old dogs new tricks. How about that? Amen. I'm with you on that. I'm learning them all the time mm -hmm. going, I can't believe I'm learning something new again with technology because it's, yeah. it's a whole new world. Wow. Yes, it's really wonderful. Okay, so before we wrap up, let me just ask, um, I would love for you to share either a tool or a tip that would really help those who are listening, especially widows, um, see God's faithfulness in their life, even though sometimes it's hard to see it when it's happening and that he really mm -hmm. is working all things together for good. Yes. So the best thing that I could share with anybody would be for them to journal mm -hmm. because in their journaling, as they write these things down in their journaling, when they go back later, they'll find those things. They'll see how God changed their If God didn't solve the problem, he changed their mindset. Yep. He changed their perspective of it. And they'll be able to see that themselves. They'll be able to grow in their faith as they look back and see where they were mm. And now where they are. And so 
I've always said that journaling, in journaling, we are basically writing history because my perspective on today's situation, such as COVID or the quarantine, my perspective is one thing, but your perspective is something else. And someone else's perspective is still another thing. So that is when we write those things down, that becomes the history that we're living through. So Absolutely. that would be my best suggestion to journal, to go back over your journaling, and then to watch and listen uh, for what God's doing in your life. Amen. And I, I mean, I'm a strong believer in journaling too. And I actually, for me, I write my prayers and journal. Yeah. I mean, I do it all in the same place because it's too easy for me to get distracted if I'm just praying in my mind. So I'll write it. And what's so cool is to be able to go back and see and go, Oh God, you are so amazing. Look where I've come from. And you know, we don't necessarily remember it, but when we see it, when we go back and see it written, it just is such a faith builder. Mm -hmm. You're right. And not only that, but sometimes our prayer, I I write my prayers right in the journal too. And if I don't have my journal with me and God's telling me something, I write it on whatever I can find. And then I go scotch tape it in my journal. (laughs) So then I go, (laughs) Uh, but I'll tell you um, when we, journal like that and pray like that and we've dated it to go mm-hmm. back later and see that our prayers had pre pre um preceded these major things that happened in our nation and then you know wow i was praying for that before i even knew about it yeah praise god god mm-hmm. was praying through me yes before i even knew about it yep so that's how we can build up our faith. Amen. I love that. Okay. So um, if we have some ladies out there who would like to find you online or, or social media or whatever, what's the best place for them to find you? The best place for them, honestly, to find me is at my at my email address, which okay. is Mary, Mary R with as if Robert, but it's Mary R Bruce, B-R-U-C-E at hotmail.com. Okay. And what was that website that I know it's, it's not ready yet, but w- where is that? So that if they want to go look there, they can. It's at www.widowhoodbook.org. Perfect. Well, it's just been delightful to have you on today. And I, yeah, this has just been a treat for me. And I just um, am hoping that uh, lots of our listeners will take advantage of the opportunity to, to get in the know on widowhood, whether they're not there yet or whether they're there already or whether they're church leaders and need to be uh, educated. So I'm, I'm just super excited about the message and was from the first time we talked and now it's a reality. And so I'm excited to see what God's going to do with it. In May, God gave me a vision of a movement. He gave me the name She Writes for Him, and I knew it would start as a book compilation, then a podcast, and finally a conference. Well, here we are a year later, and She Writes for Him, Stories of Resilient Faith, launched on May 12th, featuring Carol Kent, Tammy Trent, and Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, along with 27 brave women who shared their hard stories of abortion, depression, betrayal, loss, and shame, and declared how God worked redemption in their lives. The second edition is finalizing submissions, and best-selling author Liz Curtis-Higgs leads the lineup of contributors sharing on suffering, cancer, mental health, addictions, and spiritual abuse for She Writes for Him, Stories of Living Hope. This very podcast launched in February of this year, declaring the faithfulness of God in working all things together for good. And when we had to cancel our in-person She Writes for Him writing retreat in April, we hosted the first 21-day She Writes for Him boot camp online and helped take 40-plus women from concept to manuscript blueprint 
through 90-minute interactive virtual workshops, daily writing tips, and multiple coaching sessions. As the pandemic continued to interrupt our spring and summer conference plans, God birthed the conference I knew would be, but had no idea it would look like this. A virtual conference with three full days and 33 plus publishing professionals found 400 hungry attendees waiting and ravishing in the wisdom and the love that was poured out through the presenters. We've rescheduled the retreat for this September and still have a few slots open and another boot camp is scheduled for October. And we've initiated the She Writes For Him Tribe, a monthly membership online where you can learn your writing craft, network, grow, and have a safe place to develop your voice with other sisters who love the Lord. Join the many women finding their writing identity through the She Writes For Him movement at SheWritesForHim.com. All right. Well, here we are again for the All Things Podcast with another boot camp alumni who shared with me her Romans 828 story a little bit ago. And I am just so excited to bring her onto this digital stage and introduce her to you so she can share that story with you all. Renee Armour, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you, Athena. It's good to see you again. I missed everybody. Yeah, I know. We were together every day for 21 days and I had uh, withdrawals when it was over. I know. Uh, Such a great group of ladies. Yeah, yeah. Amen. All right. So you're, um, we're just going to take about 15 minutes here and just hear that story. I was so just um, compelled as I listened to your story to be, uh, to be a better person to those new believers who are hurting. And, uh, but I want you to tell it just from your perspective, what happened after you came to know the Lord and how the struggles that you endured God still used them for good. So um, I put together a little bit of um, kind of an introduction of me walking into my Christian walk. And um, so here it is. So, well, it's Monday and that chick is back again. She sits in the church lot and just sobs while slumped over her steering wheel. Sometimes she's there for hours. Man, my heart bleeds for that poor lady. I wonder what she's going through. Does she go to church there? Does she have anyone to talk to? Geez, I wish someone would help her. I feel awful for her. Well, that someone was me. I had just been saved at the age of 35. Yet that didn't change the never-ending tornado of junk swirling around in my life. I had established my life without God in it, and my ongoing circumstances reflected just that. I figured that since God and I had become tight, my life would look like all those other Jesus-y people in church. Seriously, (laughs) I volunteered every weekend. I signed up for every Wednesday night discipleship class. I attended every Sunday small group session. My kiddos were involved in the youth and children's programs. I even started tossing a little bit of money each weekend when they passed the offering bag. I was doing everything that all the Jesus-y people were doing. But why did my circumstances still look like they did before? I mean, I should be one of the Jesus people now. Well, I would try and talk to anyone about a situation that I was going through. I got the standard answer. Have you prayed about that? Were they even listening to me? I was writing the Hot Mess Express and they were asking me if I had prayed about it. I thought those Jesus folk were supposed to have help messed up people like me. Now they were passing the buck and avoiding the whole conversation on how to help me. But I did try the whole praying thing. How the heck was I supposed to pray to someone or something that I had never seen before? What even is prayer? My pastor sounded so eloquent, speaking to God with his deep tenor voice. Oh, Lord, we are in awe of your presence. In our presence. Wait a minute. Where is he? What? I don't see him. So then I asked one of the ladies at the church if she could teach me how to pray. She was down for that. 
until she got another job offer and left the church. Mm. What about me? So I was left high and dry again in my mess. The shame and condemnation always crept in. How could God love someone like me? This will always be a part of me. How could I ever forget what I've done? I can never take back any of it. How could I ever come before God and look him in the eyes and be fully forgiven? But there was always Sunday. I loved Sundays. That day always brought the most beautiful moment of worship. I experienced God in that place. I found him in the people. I felt him in the worship. The emotions would overcome me and I would allow him to release me from all the hate that I had for myself and the things that I had done. I loved the peace I found in every Sunday morning. And then Monday, Monday inevitably came the next day. Will I ever truly be a Christian? Sunday's over. I'd go to that church parking lot when it hurt so badly that I thought I might die from the pain. It was the only place I knew that I could find God. It was inside those doors. The only problem is that the doors were locked. I sat in that parking lot desperate to go inside and find the peace that I could only feel on Sunday morning. Why can't they just let me in? How the heck am I going to do this Christian thing if I can't function six out of seven days of the week? I thought maybe I should find someone to talk to, but who? Well, what about that one lady that leads all the ladies' events? She seemed so together and was friends with everyone. I realized she'd be totally freaked out by my story and would tell her husband and children to steer clear of the weirdo. For sure, she'd not look at me the same way again. Maybe that super sweet older lady that leads all the Bible study groups. She would have been good to talk to. She was so kind and gentle. Lord, no. She'd fall out of her chair if I shared with her some of the things that have happened in my life. I came back around to not sharing my story with anyone. They probably wouldn't want me in their church anymore. It was easier to pretend to be one of the holy rollers and enjoy the moment while amongst my new peeps. Why, why would I want to share all this dirt with someone who has actually accepted me into this Christian life? It was comfortable in my new Christianese world. I felt alone in my journey to find out where God is on Monday. What is it about Sunday morning at church that made me feel peace? Was it the music? Well, that was some of it. Was it the people? Oh my word, I loved the people. It was God. That sounds strange to someone who doesn't get it. For me, God didn't show up outside of church. Why? Why couldn't I find God outside of church? That was what I needed to answer. Where is God on Monday? Well, I found him one day. He was inside the pages of my Bible. Mm. He spoke to me there. He didn't change my past, but he did help me understand grace. He has changed my Mondays and every other day. I found God on Monday in my Bible, and now it's my heart to help others find God on Monday. Mm. Wow. Yep. So <laughs> that, was, that was my story. Yeah. That was where it started. Yep. And you, you put words to so many women's cries because often they say you know they want to come in and they want to share with someone i'm struggling i'm depressed i'm you know don't even feel like living anymore what i mean whatever the emotions are and then they are almost shamed into silence because there's maybe not a safe place to really be authentic and you know so praise the Lord that he didn't let you go and run away. Cause that would have been the easier thing to do would be to just not even try anymore, which happens. Yeah. But, but for you to find him in that place so that he could, so you could develop that relationship with him, regardless of who does what and says what to you, you got yeah. that anchor. Yeah, I would. I would sit in church on Sundays and I would listen to um, the stories of, well, you know the story of Daniel. Well, you know the story of, and I didn't, I didn't know the stories. And right. so it was, um, as a new believer, it was the hardest thing in the world to not know who he was, to not understand any of the stories that were being shared, to feel condemned because I didn't and I should have. And so there's a part of you that just kind of rolls into the, well, I'm just going to be a part of it then. 
and there wasn't anybody who taught me the foundation of his word. That's what I needed was I needed to understand who he was. Um, and it, it took a long time to truly find him, but, um, we went down a really long journey together after that. And I, um, you know, I think we all go through the period of, well, maybe not all, but some of us who find him later in life of reading the Bible front to back. And I accomplished that. And, um, but that doesn't give you a true picture of genuinely who he is. And it was one thing to know um, that I loved him. It was a totally different thing to know that he loved me. Mm. And that was, um, that was the journey in the end. So I've been a guest services director at a couple of different churches since then, because that's my heart to make sure that people understand that um, this is a safe place and you can come here and, and be who you are. And I try to be more vulnerable and share my stories with others so that they feel comfortable coming to me to share their story. Mm. Well, and that's the one thing about sharing those the painful moments of our lives, the traumas of our lives, the things that most people would have been shamed into silence over for so many years, for us to be able to share that, that gives them permission to share their struggles and their pain. And that's where fellowship happens. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the, in the small groups and in, in your friendships that you have with other people. I mean, God didn't mean for us to do life alone. And um, boy, the enemy will get control of your mind if you do sit alone in those thoughts, if you don't share them. So what you leave in the darkness is, it's going to remain dark until you, you allow God's light to come into that. And so a lot of times that's, if, if you can bring it into his presence, then you can allow him to illuminate that for you but sometimes it takes someone else yeah. who knows God when I didn't to share that with me. So, Well, and the enemy, if he can, his strategy is to isolate because all those weird thoughts that go on that shame us into silence and make us feel unworthy and all those things, they sound legitimate when they just stay in our head and go around and around. But once we actually say them to someone else, it's like, oh man, that not what I meant. Or that's, I don't, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I thought that. But to, you know, to understand his strategy is to keep us isolated. Well, and so, so many, so many women believe that they're the only one that has gone through this. And right. when you are able to stand side by side with someone and, and share with them and empathize with them on what it is that they're going and then share with them that God can heal that, can completely heal you from that, can literally just obliterate that. And it's always going to be there. Um, it's not a matter of completely getting rid of it because you, you genuinely need to heal from it and recognize that that's part of your story. That's part of what God took you through so that someday that can be a healing story for somebody else who's going through that pain. So the experiences that I've had in life that, you know, went, I mean, just over and over and over and over again, I look back on those now and I recognize God was there with me when I didn't even recognize who he was and protecting me from those things. And I'm thankful now that I have that so that I can be uh, a light for him um, in others. So I just, you know, I, I hope that I can put myself in more and more situations. I kind of spread myself pretty thin sometimes so that other people have the opportunity to, um, to reach out to me and, and I can share that with them. He's Mm. a pretty cool dude. He's taken me through quite a bit. Yes, he has. And that is, he is always faithful and he won't waste a bit of our pain. He will use it for good. Even when we can't imagine how he could do it, he does. And I would just love to kind of bring this full circle and wrap it up with you. I'd love to have you share just a thought that you would like us to ponder as we go away from this time together. So I, I think for me, 
Um, one of the things that I would want Christian women to know is um, there are a lot of ladies walking into the church that have no idea um, the, the Christianese language that is used. The, they don't know the Bible verses. Um, they're, um, they're walking a walk and talking a talk that they don't know anything about. And it's a front. Mm -hmm. And underneath all of that is incredible pain. And it is, um, it is our job um, in the church and outside of the church to, to seek the lost. And that may look like somebody who may be a Christian and you, you don't know that. Um, we just need to be, we need to have our hearts more open um, to see the hurting and the lost. And we need to be vulnerable to be able to share our stories with them. But, you know, when we talk about um, set the church on fire, not everybody understands what that means, you know? Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, when I talk about the Christianese language, that's kind of what I mean is that, you know, we, we start talking about things that people don't understand or, you know, that verse or, you know, that story. And we just, we just need to um, just, just be, just love on people. Just love conquers all. And we just need to be, um, just be a light for him and be ready and be vulnerable anytime he asks that of you. Mm, amen. And as you, pray and ask God to show you those that are in your church, in your circles that are hurting. You know, a lot of times they don't look down and out. They mm. look all put together because that's, you know, that is a coping mechanism to, to say, okay, I'm going to stuff all this pain, but I'm going to look good and I'm going to try and be perfect. And I, you know, so it's not like, you know, they're in a wheelchair or they get, it's not obvious. And so right. that's where the Holy Spirit's got to lead us and guide us. And that's, that's what he did with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't, there were a lot of really great people that were um, amazing and loving towards me. And I am so thankful, but it really, really for me came down to um, sitting down and, and opening up the Bible for myself mm -hmm. and asking him, um, in, in, however it was that I asked him because I didn't know who he was. I just show me yeah. and I read, um, and it was a verse. It was, um, it was a chapter at a time. And at some point it started becoming clear what it was that he was speaking to me through his word in mm. that moment. And every time I read a scripture, I can hear what he is saying in that moment through that through that verse. It is God breathes. It's his word and he will change us in those circumstances every time, every time. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for taking time to share that Romans 828 story with us today. I just love your heart and just thank you so much for, you know, letting us hear what it was like. I mean, I was saved at 33. So I know that to have no understanding at all about any of those stories any of the bible any of that i totally get it and i it just it took me back to oh yeah that that that's good good stuff thank, thank you. you so much thank for you, encouraging athena. us i appreciate you having me thank you athena so much you bet god bless you you as well all right, we are back today on the All Things Podcast with another amazing Romans 828 story with my friend Tina Cook, who was part of our first ever She Writes for Him boot camp. I heard her story then. I read her story since then. Oh my goodness, you are in for a treat and such an encouragement. So buckle up for this next 15 minutes because you are going to be blown away by God's goodness. So Tina, welcome to the All Things Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Well, why don't we just jump right in and just share your story. Um, yeah. And just go ahead and lay it on us. 
Well, I'll start a little bit from the beginning and just tell you a little bit about my mother. My mother was born into a very religious home that had a lot of rigid um, thou shalt nots. And because of that, it really had created in her just a real rebellion towards God and a desire to run as far away from God as she possibly could. And during that moment and those moments of deception, I think the enemy really took advantage of that and grabbed a hold of her heart. And she ran right into the arms of my father. And um, unfortunately, my father was not um, a good person. He had a lot of internal struggles. He was very abusive and he was really ensnared in a lifestyle of sin. It was really a generational thing that, a generational curse that had passed down from generation uh, to generation. And even though there was a ton of huge flashing red lights in front of my mother's face, um, really out of a spirit of, I would say, rebellion and deception, and she ended up marrying him. And uh, together they had us three girls, and I'm the middle of three girls. And so I was born into a home of extreme violence and chaos. We were very, um, very much in a situation of poverty um, and a lot of extreme abuse. It was very violent, and I know many nights Growing up, even, I would be um, awoken to just my dad kind of going on a rampage. And it, and it really didn't even have to have necessarily a reason. But, you know, we'd be woke up in the middle of the night, and I would just remember my mom saying, run. Many nights, as a little girl, um, we would have to just run out the front door, and we would walk the streets at night until he calmed down. Hmm. For me, it wasn't really the monster under my bed I had to contend with. It was the dad in the room next door. Wow. Uh, he was very physically abusive, and he was also very psychologically abusive. And um, he really knew how to torment in a way that felt that made you feel very imprisoned. And so um, I just remember growing up many times, my mom crying and begging my dad to stop because he would like to do things to... Uh, to us in front of her and, um, you know, hurt us in front of her or hurt her in front of us. And hmm. there was just that torment piece to it um, as well. And so my dad also liked weapons. He, he had a lot of guns. Um, he had a lot of knives. I remember he had brass knuckles. I knew what that was at a very young age. Hmm. And he would like to use those too in some of those psychological um, some of those psychological ways, um, some of those psychological torture moments. He would, I know even my mom would share many nights laying in bed next to him. He would just poke her throughout the night with knives and um, would also do those things um, with us as well. And so it was just a very difficult childhood, but, but at the same time, that was my normal. Um, it's all I knew. Right. And so now that I'm outside the circle, it's like sometimes when I share my story, sometimes people will just be crying. And it's, it's kind of shocking to me because I was like, you know, I, it, it seemed so normal because that was all I knew. Um, yet it was so, my home was so charged with just violence and ugly, but that's all I knew. Right. And now, then my, just, go ahead. just out of curiosity was, because I don't remember you saying this um, in the, the article that you wrote up for me on your story and when you shared it before, was he an alcoholic or was that not no, a, a piece yeah, of it? That's the interesting thing in our case, because we really wanted to label it. You, you know, I wanted to label it. Especially yeah. I wanted to understand it. But in our particular case, my dad was not um, an alcoholic. He did use alcohol from time to time, but that wasn't really the key factor. Wow. Um, there was not a mental health diagnosis. Um, and so in our case, the older I've got, looking back, I really do believe in my father's case, it was very much spiritual. And I do believe it was a very spiritual battle yeah. um, because I seen that in him. And sometimes even in his violent rages, um, you know, there were times I saw him literally get angry and he would break glass and he would chew the glass and, mm. and he would chewing glass and, and blood would be coming out and, and he would even quote scripture sometimes. And so that just me, sounds I, demonic. <laughs> yes, it was very, there was very much an oppression. That's the only way I know how to describe it. There was such an oppression in our home. And even with him, I think he had such a battle inside himself um, because he also had these moments, you know, where he could be good and he could kind of be happy. And 
my older sister Valerie really grabbed onto those moments and tried to cling to those. In my particular situation, I really um, grew to hate him and I hated him so deeply that it was very hard for me to grab onto those good moments and hold, hold tight to them. Mm -hmm. um, didn't have them and there was an internal struggle. And I think in our particular case, truly we saw a real a physical manifestation of a, a very spiritual battle. Yep. And so um, my dad was uh, very physically abusive and sometimes there was no real reason. I remember one particular instance when I uh, stepped out of the shower, my dad closed fist uh, punched me so hard in the face it threw me across the room and nearly broke my jaw. Mm -hmm. And what triggered that was I had left the curling iron plugged in when I took a shower. So, I mean, it was something as simple as that could, could cause him to, to trigger. And you just never knew. And oftentimes it was in the middle of the night. I can't even tell you how many times in the middle of the night we had to bolt out the front door. And there were times we didn't make it in time. And if we didn't make it in time, um, you know, we would go through a lot of physical abuse. Um, but I did learn at a very young age that, you know, bruises fade, physical wounds heal, but those uh, mental and emotional scars are a different beast yeah. altogether. And so um, in our particular case, the abuse was so severe and he was so violent that we did end up um, having to go into um, hiding. And so it was really similar to like a witness protection program. It wasn't a witness protection program, but similar. Mm -hmm. My mother had some people that helped her organize and orchestrate us getting swept away and we um, had to go into hiding. And I was 13 years old when that happened. Now, in order for that to happen, my mom actually had to make the very tough decision to go first and leave us alone with him because of the way the system worked. She had to work out some custody details or he would have been able to find us. Mm. And so we were by ourselves uh, with my dad for about seven months. And those were really, really difficult months. Wow. I was 13 years old at the time. I had a little sister five years younger than me. My older sister is 18 months older than me. And, you know, um, we knew what was happening. My dad didn't. Just one day, my mom's car was found abandoned in a Walmart parking lot. And, uh, you know, we went through the whole scenario and had to pretend like we didn't know, right. but we, she had escaped and we would hopefully get to follow suit shortly after. The oh. one thing that my mom held tight to was the fact that usually the physical abuse that we endured, um, was to kind of get at her and to get back at her. So we had all really hoped with her being out of the picture, he would be so focused on that, that maybe just maybe we would be safe until we could all get together again and, and we could get with mom. Um, but what none of us expected that we hadn't dealt with yet was after mom uh, disappeared, uh, my father came to us and told us that with her being gone, we now had to take her place sexually. So sexual abuse was not something that we had dealt with yet. Wow. I had gotten pretty good at uh, knowing how to handle the physical abuse. Uh, this, this was a curveball. Uh, for all of us in a very difficult curveball. Um, so I do remember um, I slept with a knife under my pillow and a baseball bat under my bed. My kind of role in the family was I was always the protector. <laughs> I uh, fought many fights on the playgrounds to protect my older sister because she was shy and backwards and I was just a fighter back then and um, I really hated him and so that drove me uh, to that kind of position I think in the in the family and I remember one night again, I mean, talking about how demonic it was, waking up in the middle of the night to my dad screaming and he was quoting the scripture. If it says in the Bible, you know, it says in the Bible, if you sin with your eyes, cut out your eyes. If you sin with your arms, cut off your arm. And he was literally slicing his arm <sighs> and there was just blood everywhere. And it was because he had tried to touch my older sister in the middle of the night, and we had diverted that, and, um, you know, he was tormented, I think, himself, Right. and, um, you know, it took us getting really, my sister Valerie, actually really aggressive, and screaming back to get him to stop, um, and then we bandaged his wounds, but um, during those seven months, we actually ended up, because the sexual abuse started getting um, heavy, we ended up in foster homes for a little while, 
Uh, my grandmother actually had, had turned our case in and, and, the, and the system did come and take us. And unfortunately in our case, uh, we had a very negative experience with the foster homes, mm. with the foster homes themselves uh, being uh, very abusive and, and very violent with us. And so we decided as a sibling group that the devil that we knew was better than the devil that we didn't know, right? And so when we went to court, we all three agreed and we put our hand on that Bible and we lied and said that none of it was true. And we ended up back with our father. Mm. So now fast forward us to, because I remember there, this really as bad as it was, there was a full circle that happened. Tell us about yeah, that. It was. And so it was after about seven months of being with my dad, we had our great escape day, what I call the great escape day. And we was swept um, off and, and we went into hiding. I was 13 years old then. And so that was, that was a great day of victory for us getting out of that circumstance. But I will say that came with its own challenges too, because at 13 years old, I had to start my life all over again and in hiding. And I could never talk about my past. And I had aunts and uncles and cousins and uh, all of those people that I did love and adore. And I never got to see or talk to them again. Uh, we literally had to start all over from scratch. And that comes with its own challenges, mm. its own uh, heartaches and heartbreaks and just never being able to talk about it. And I think that too taught me a lot about the dangers of secrets and what they can do to you inside. Mm. Because we never really got to process and, and we just had to, you know, start over and in, in secret. But after about um, 10 years, I think I was 23 years old when I um, was with my husband and, and all of the bitterness and the anger was really starting to swell in me. I just remember that the Lord had given me a beautiful altar call service in my church and the pastor, it was like one of those moments when, you know, the pastor's like God speaking right to you. Like mm -hmm. he had my only one in that sanctuary that day. And it was a message on unforgiveness and bitterness and hurt. And pastor had called anyone to the altar that dealt with that. And I had so much unresolved hate and anger and bitterness for my father that it was affecting me as a young wife and a young mother. And so I went to the altar that day and I'll never forget it because for me, it truly was an absolute healing. I was at the altar for about three hours on that Sunday mm. and I stood up a different person and yeah. all of and all of that hate and all of that unforgiveness uh, was, was taken from me that day and it changed my life and it was a beautiful thing that the Lord gave me. Mm. Uh, and then fast forward later, so my husband and I um, have been married now for 25 years and we have four beautiful children. And I often say in our story, it's really crazy because uh, I had to start all over at 13 with no family. And in hiding, I had to leave all my family behind. And I, our last Easter party, one of my friends saw our picture. And I remember she said, wow, it is such a blessing to have such a big family. And I remember the Lord just whispered to my spirit. And he said, I have given back to you all the years that the mm -hmm. locust has eaten. Amen. Because my family is just huge now between my sisters and our kids and it's just sprouted and grown and our kids kids and I have a very big beautiful family so God is so good in that. But also three years ago my father we had word that my father was passing away with cancer and my older sister Valerie wanted to go. Um, and although I forgave and had such a peace in my spirit I never did feel the desire to have to be in relationship with him. Um, but I decided to go because it was important to her and important to my little sister. And so together we made the trip. We made the trip to go see my father on his deathbed. And about halfway through the trip, my mom had called and uh, she had decided to join us. Wow. And so we met. We're like, okay, well, we'll meet you halfway and we'll pick you up and then we'll make the jaunt up to Popper Bluff, Missouri. And we pull in this gas station. And it hit us like all at the same time. It was in Kingdom City, Missouri Whoa. was our half point. And we pull in this gas station in Kingdom City and we all just started bawling because mm. we realized we were at the same gas station that we met at all those years before when we got swept away into hiding and was reconnected with our mom. Whoa. And it was like it hit us and we just all started crying. And it was like, wow, talk about full circle. Yeah. <laughs> 
It was amazing. And so we made the trip. We went to see uh, my father on his deathbed. And I, if anybody would have told me after living in hiding and going through such a crazy whirlwind of a life and having to start all over and, you know, just the years of hiding, what that does to you. If anybody would have ever told me that the original five of us would have been together again at one point, I would have said that's impossible. There's mm -hmm. no way it's impossible. Right. But here we were, the original five, all together again. And I just remember there, there wasn't a lot of words spoken about our past, um, but my dad just simply said, I'm sorry. And really through grace, it was enough. Mm. And, um, and then he talked a little bit about how scared he was, about he knew the Lord, about the Lord. He knew about salvation. He had had moments in his life where he did really good in his connection with the Lord. Uh, but he just shared about how his, he was so fearful that he wouldn't make heaven, that he was dying. And that, um, you know, he just wanted some, some, some real surety in his salvation. And so together we all got to pray the hmm. sinner's prayer with him. And we got to um, just really help lead him into that awesome grace of God and that peace and assurance. And I just remember thinking like the Holy Spirit whispered in my spirit in that moment. And he said to me, this is what my grace looks like. This is what my grace looks like. And I thought, a man like my dad is going to be in heaven. Yeah. And if God can bring a man like my father into heaven, God can bring anybody into heaven. Yeah. And it was a gift, a beautiful gift that God gave me seeing tangibly his beautiful grace and knowing that it is for everyone. And it really changed my life forever. And that was our true like, grace moment. We were fully and gracefully mended. Mm. That is just the most amazing story. I mean, God just never ceases to amaze me with how creative he can be with taking the worst of the worst and, you know, showing who he really is out yes. of that. And... Wow. Okay. So we are out of time. Let's just, if you had one thought that you would like for our listeners to ponder after listening to this amazing story, what would you send us out with? Kintsugi. Kintsugi is a word that I learned years ago, and it is the Japanese art of repairing things that are broken. Mm. It's when they take pottery that's been broken and they use liquid gold to repair it. And that's what I say God did for me. He used liquid grace and he took what was so broken and he put it back together and not good as new, better than new. Mm. That's what grace does. Wow. Wow. Tina, it has been an absolute delight to have you with us today to share that snippet. I mean, we could have talked for easily a couple of hours, but to be able to tell that in such a short period of time, and it's just so impactful. Just thank you so much for taking time today, for sharing that. And God bless you as you continue to process through how God is going to have you write that story. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful, or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>